Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to VersaBank's first quarter fiscal 2021 financial results conference call. This morning, VersaBank issued a news release reporting its financial results for the first quarter ended January 31st, 2021. Uh, that news release, along with the bank's financial statements and supplemental financial information, are available on the bank's website in the investor relations section, as well as on CDAR. Uh, please note, in addition to the telephone dial-in, uh, VersaBank is webcasting its earnings conference call over the internet. The webcast is listen-only. Uh, the webcast is listen-only. If you are listening to the webcast but wish to ask a question in the Q&A section uh, following Mr. Taylor's presentation, please dial into the conference line. The details of which are included in this morning's uh, news release and on the bank's website. For those participating in today's call by telephone, the accompanying slide presentation is available on the bank's website. Also, today's call uh, will be archived for replay both by telephone and via the internet beginning approximately one hour following completion of the call. Details on how to access the, the replays are available in this morning's news release. I would like to remind our listeners that statements about future events made on this call are forward-looking in nature and are based on certain assumptions and analysis made by VersaBank's management. Actual results could differ materially from our expectations due to various material risk and uncertainties associated with VersaBank's businesses. Uh, please refer to VersaBank's forward-looking statement advisory in today's presentation. I would now like to turn the call over to David Taylor, a President and Chief Executive Officer of VersaBank. Please go ahead, Mr. Taylor. Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's call. With me once again by telephone conference, as we continue to work remotely, are Sean Clark, our Chief Financial Officer, Ali Lalani, Treasurer, and Brent Hodge, General Counsel and Corporate Secretary. The first quarter was an outstanding start for 2021 for VersaBank, not only in terms of financial results, but also in terms of what the first quarter means for our future trajectory. Our core digital banking operations delivered a number of record results. And notably, we delivered near record net income, just a smidge behind our historic high. And that was mainly due to the fact that even with the rapid redeployment of cash amidst the fastest growth in our history, our average cash balance during Q1 was still higher than pre-pandemic levels, following our cautionary stance at the beginning of the pandemic. Q1 was also a landmark quarter in that it includes the first financial contribution from Digital Boundary Group the leading North American cybersecurity penetration testing operation that we acquired via our wholly owned Washington DC based subsidiary DRT Cyber in November. 
DBG is experiencing significant organic growth in its business and provides considerable additional opportunities as we start to leverage the business development and revenue synergies of GRT Cyber. I'll talk more about this in a few minutes. On our last call, I talked about the significant momentum in our digital banking operations as the combination of our redeployment of cash and the high market demand for financing in certain sectors of the economy were driving record loan growth as we continued our lower cost of funds. As a result, we did in the first quarter, we again saw very strong sequential growth across all our key financial metrics and year-over-year growth in most. Net interest income increased 5% sequentially and 6% year-over-year to 14.4 million. When the non-interest income contributed by Digital Boundary Group is added in, total revenue increased 14% on a year-on-year and 12% sequentially to a record 15.4 million. Cost of funds decreased by 46 basis points year-over-year and 9 basis points sequentially to a record 1.42%. Net interest margin increased sequentially to 2.86%, although it was lower year-on-year due to the still elevated cash balances. As I did last quarter, I'll provide perspective that if we had maintained our cash balances at our historic levels, net interest margin would have been higher by approximately 13 basis points at 2.99%. Net income increased 3% on a year-on-year and 11% sequentially to 5.3 million, or 22 cents per share, the third highest in our history. And core cash earnings increased 3% year-on-year and 11% sequentially to 7.3 million, or 34 cents per share. Turning to the balance sheet, you can see the continued growth in our total assets, which reached just over $2 billion at the end of the quarter, up 5% sequentially and 10% year-over-year. Our, our cash balance, including liquid securities at the end of the first quarter, was $212 million, down significantly from $258 million at the end of the fourth quarter as we continued to rapidly redeploy cash. As a reminder, our cash position peaked at more than $400 million in Q3 of 2020. Our cash balance sits even lower today at around $234 million, and we expect that to continue to decline. We expect cash balances to get back to historic levels around mid-year. Book value per share increased 2% to $10.90. And our CET1 capital and leverage ratios both trended downward to 12.48% and 11.4%, evidence of improved utilization of our excess capital. The credit quality of our loan portfolio remains very strong, as the low-risk nature of our business model once again proved itself. For Q1, we recorded provisions for credit losses, or PCLs, of just $57,000. Taking the the bank's PCLs as a proportion of average loans for the first quarter to 0.01%. And it's worth noting that since the start of the pandemic, 
we have had no loan losses, only a handful of borrowers that requested payment deferrals, and as at the end of the first quarter, we had zero loans that are subject to deferrals. As I noted last quarter, we are living through what is likely the most challenging environment for many parts of the economy in most of our lifetimes, and the bank has been unimpacted in terms of actual loan losses. As a reminder, this is a function of the significant mitigation embedded in our model and employed in every decision we make. Importantly, the cash holdbacks of our point-of-sale finance business remain far in excess of what we view to be the intrinsic risk associated with this portfolio. But again, we have never previously incurred a loss in the bank. As you have heard me discuss many times, our ability to access ultra-low cost of funds by leveraging our technology to provide innovative solutions that address unmet needs in the market is critical to our ability to generate superior net interest margins with low risk. As I noted earlier, we saw yet another sequential decline in our cost of funds to 1.42% from 1.51%, a new record. And this number is down from 1.88% in Q1 of 2020. The continued decrease of our cost of funds is directly tied to the continued expansion of our insolvency professional deposits, which currently pay 0% interest. Notably, we achieved this despite bankruptcies recently reaching a 10-year low due to the government's COVID-related financial support. Turning to the lending side of our business, you can see not only the record sequential growth, $139 million during the first quarter, but where, but where that is taking place. Our total loan portfolio increased 8% sequentially to a record high of just under $1.8 billion. This was driven to a large degree by the significant origination activity in our commercial real estate portfolio as residential construction activity has heated up, especially in the smaller communities surrounding the greater Toronto area. Here, single and multifamily home construction is seeing unprecedented growth as people migrate from the big city to the smaller towns. While demand is high, we are also benefiting from our strengthened competitive position due to the underlying health of the bank. The commercial real estate portfolio grew 18% sequentially and 32% year over year. We are also seeing resurgence in point of sale financing activity, especially in the home renovation and repair channel as consumers redirect discretionary spending away from travel and other social activities to home improvements during the pandemic. Although the point-of-sale portfolio was 5% lower than the end of 20, uh, January 2020, it was up 3% sequentially and was on top of the 8% increase in the fourth quarter of 2020. And we expect that momentum to continue through the remainder of the year. Turning to the cybersecurity opportunity, I noted earlier, that the first quarter was highlighted by the first contribution from the acquisition of Digital Boundary Group via our DRT Cyber subsidiary. 
DBG's impressive client list is a who's who of more than 400 North American corporations and government entities. For obvious reasons, we can't name names, but to provide some context, it includes one of Canada's largest retailers, the infrastructure assets of a very large and well-known U.S. investment firm, and the police departments of several large U.S. municipalities. We acquired DBG for $10 million, a very attractive valuation given its own organic growth prospects and the significant potential to leverage business development synergies through DRT Cyber and their tremendous growth forecast for this sector. For the 62 days in which we owned DBG during the first quarter, it contributed $1.7 million in revenue and was immediately accretive to the bank's earnings. Again, this was just two months of contribution. DBG is growing at a rapid pace. Cash contributions for the most recent quarter were up 50% on a year-on-year, and that's before the marketing and business development initiatives we have planned for DBG this year as part of DRT Cyber. DBG significantly transforms the DRT cyber opportunity. The recent solar winds breach in the United States was once again thrust the issue of cyber vulnerability to the spotlight. But the truth is that literally every day there is another headline about yet another successful cyber attack. The good news for business and government is that these attacks are preventable and digital Boundary Group is a critical part of the protection. They stand head and shoulders with the very best in the industry, and they, along with VersaVault, are a critical part of building a comprehensive cybersecurity offering that will fully leverage the formidable team and capabilities of DRT. DRT Cyber Chairman Tom Ridge, the former Governor of Pennsylvania and the first Secretary of U.S. Department of Homeland Security, Gapreet Sahoda, DRT's Chief Operating Officer who was previously with BlackBerry for 16 years where he was Principal Cybersecurity Architect, and Avery Penarim, DRT Director and former Senior Engineer at X Inc. and Google. The rest of 2021 promises to be an exciting time for DRT Cyber and VersaBank more broadly. And that excitement starts today. This morning, we announced the bank's intention to launch the first bank-issued deposit-based digital currency we call VCAT. VCAT isn't a typical cryptocurrency. In fact, we prefer not to use that term, as VCAT addresses two major shortcomings with virtually every other digital currency available today, volatility and security. On volatility, VCAD represents a Canadian dollar deposit with our bank, meaning its value will fluctuate only with that of the Canadian dollar and will always be known, whether for the use in buying and selling goods and services or when a business or individual wants to exchange or redeem them. On security, because VCAD will be issued by VersaBank, a Schedule One bank and backed by deposits, Businesses and individuals can be certain that their VCAD holdings are redeemable at any time. VCAD will be securely managed by our own VersaVault, the first and we believe the most secure digital deposit box in the world. 
As such, VCAD will offer the highest level of stability and security amongst the digital currencies. We are incredibly proud of this truly groundbreaking initiative. It represents yet another innovative solution by VersaBank to address the unmet needs in the market. But at the same time, it is also a natural extension of digital banking operations. It is based on the same proprietary technology that underlies our digital banking operations. In fact, VCAD is very much a highly encrypted version of our existing digital deposit. To maximize its success, we are thrilled to be commercially launching VCAD in partnership with StableCorp, which is a joint venture between Canada's leading crypto asset manager, 3IQ, and Mavnet, a Canadian leader in blockchain development. Consistent with VersaBank's highly efficient business-to-business -business model, we will issue VCAT through our partner, StableCorp, in exchange for deposits. StableCorp will then offer VCAT directly to individual businesses, digital currency exchanges. VCAT is not only a fantastic offering in and of itself, but is expected to provide significant additional source of very low cost deposits for the bank, providing the opportunity to even further reduce our already ultra-low cost of funds. We are targeting VCAD to be available publicly in the coming months, so stay tuned. Following on a very good year for VersaBank in 2020, the first quarter of 2021 was a great start to the expected resumption of our long-term trend of outsized growth in 2021 and beyond. Thank you, and now uh, I'll be available for questions. Uh, thank you. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we will now begin the question and answer session. Uh, should you have a question, please press star followed by one on your touchtone phone. You'll hear a three-tone prompt acknowledging your request and your questions will be polled in the order they are received. Should you wish to decline from the polling process, please press star followed by two. If you're using a speakerphone, please lift the handset before pressing any keys. One moment for your first question. Okay, so your first question comes from Greg McDonald uh, from Load Rock Research. Greg, please go ahead. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Uh, good morning. Thanks, guys, for taking the call, and congrats on the uh, on the strong quarter. Uh, listen, I wanted to ask a question on loan growth. So, as per your comments in the last call, you're starting to see some very aggressive loan growth. Um, so, good on that. Um, in terms of the mix, very strong in commercial uh, at 32% year over year. That's that's a, a pretty incredible number. On the point of sale side. Um, a little lighter than I would have expected. Overall, in line. So I, I wanted to ask the question, are you surprised at all on the trend? 
um, in terms of how much demand there is on the commercial side relative to the point of sale side? Uh, and is there anything to draw as a conclusion in terms of the mix going forward for the rest of the year? Well, thanks, Greg. Um, not uh, not surprised, actually. The um, It's a little lumpy in a quarter. Uh, so um, the trend, I think, uh, uh, for the remainder of the year will be that uh, point of sale uh, originations will uh, catch up to uh, the uh, commercial lending. Commercial lending showed uh, uh, quite a significant resurgence, of course, uh, due to um, the tendency for folks to move away from the major centers and move to the smaller towns. And as you know, uh, we've been uh, pro providing uh, residential financing for a, a long, long time. Uh, so we're extremely well positioned to help uh, our clients in uh, in building uh, new homes for, for those folks that are moving out of the, the Toronto area. Point of sale financing is, is coming back quickly too, uh, as I was saying in the presentation. Uh, there tends to be a, a, a lot of activity around the area of home improvement, and I, I expect in the, in the next few quarters you'll see point-of-sale uh, uh, growing about the same rate as the uh, residential construction. Okay, thanks for that. And then as a follow-on on the point-of-sale side, I know you're talking about the instant mortgage app. This is something that is quite new to the market. Um, I know it's very early days, David, but is there anything more to add on that in terms of your insight to how, how much success you find with that app? Well, yeah, we, we have high hopes for, for that app. We think it's, um, it's providing a convenient way for uh, uh, homo, uh, prospective homeowners to, uh, to obtain their financing uh, as opposed to the traditional way of walking down the street uh, and negotiating a pre-approval with a mortgage say, at a branch bank or uh, or finding a broker, uh, we think the convenience will be a will be highly attractive, and uh, I expect um, that we'll see quite a, a deal flow through that channel. Um, we are also uh, talking to other financial institutions as partners, uh, in that the flow might be so so huge that um, Versa Bank might choose to. Uh, may pick and choose the types of mortgages that reside on our balance sheet. Uh, so I, I think everybody, everybody thinks there'll be a tremendous flow. And, uh, and uh, uh, you know, we're, thankfully, we're, we're working well with some partners that will, will help out with the flow. Okay, thanks. And then just one last question in, in terms of um, finishing off on the, call it net interest margin type questions. Um, Insolvency deposits, I think anyone that knows this story knows that that's a great opportunity for you for low-cost deposits. The growth there seems pretty attractive. My sense was always that the growth would really come more in the second half of this year um, as the expectation for bankruptcies increased. I don't think we've seen a lot of major change in bankruptcies yet. You're starting to see um, decent growth or even better growth in that. Um, in that area of deposits. Can you give a sense of what you're expecting through the rest of the year? Between 4Q and 1Q, are you um, as optimistic, more optimistic um, on that, on the, on the growth opportunity for insolvencies and kind of what you're seeing there? Well, as you say, we're, we're still seeing good growth in the area and um, 
that's not really the result any longer of uh, us uh, acquiring new new customers, new insolvency professionals, and that we have a, uh, a good portion of the market already dealing with us. It's it's probably internally they're they're adopting our, our software, so we're seeing growth that way. Um, I was expecting uh, insolvencies to increase in the latter part of uh, half of this year. It might be that with the uh, recent announcements from the government of uh, providing more uh, longer-term um, uh, and or, uh, supplements for uh, for Canadians and businesses, uh, that um, the, the number of insolvencies will not sort of peak towards the end of the year. But uh, I'm sure uh, uh, in the next year. Uh, there'll be a lot of insolvencies. Of course, this pandemic's had terrible effect on the on the economy. Uh, so, I, I would say that um, the growth will continue as it has at that rate, and maybe towards the end of the year it starts to peak. Um, but yeah, you know, with um, what looks like it's on the horizon, that portfolio of deposits could be about twice as big as it is today. Okay. Thanks very much. Your next question comes from Sen Tunke from Stifle. Please go ahead. Oh, hi there, guys. I apologize in advance. I'm having some, uh, I don't know if it's just me, but um, it's a little bit distorted on my end. So if you can't hear me, um, I apologize. But um, just, uh, David, want to get some color on the, uh, the VCAT announcement this morning. Obviously, very significant uh, piece of news. Um, is it possible to walk through the mechanics of how this product is going to work? Like, is it that if I'm a financial institution, I go and buy the, the coin from you, and then you turn around and buy um, CAD and hold that as the deposit? If you could just walk through the mechanics of that process, um, that would be helpful, please. Sure. And so I probably should start from our perspective. The VCAD is a digital uh uh, redeemable transferable deposit receipt uh, that we're using blockchain technology to make it easily uh, transferable. Uh, so what we uh, plan to do is issue these deposit receipts to our partner StableCorp. Uh, so so StableCorp will be our depositors. StableCorp will be uh, depositing with us and receiving uh, VCADs back in exchange. The VCADs thereafter Will, will likely be um, exchanged for uh, Canadian dollars or other currencies uh, from StableCorp to other cryptocurrency exchanges. Uh, so the VCADs will enter the sort of ecosystem of uh, cryptocurrencies uh, from StableCorp. Uh, and if there's to be a, uh, a redemption or what they, they term as a burning, then StableCorp would come back to us and request uh, redemption, and we will treat StableCorp as we would any other depositor and uh, and redeem. So this is a this is a, a unique uh, type of cryptocurrency uh, that we've invented um, in that uh, it's not tethered to a fiat currency or tethered to some other asset. It actually represents a deposit in a Schedule One bank. Um, uh, so the um, the stability aspect is of course tremendous, in that uh, uh, a, a holder doesn't have to worry about the tether snapping or not being there, uh, as has been the case in the past with tethered currencies. Uh, they don't have to worry about uh, 
uh, the value rocketing up and then rocketing uh, back down again uh, because it's stable in that it's, it is a deposit with a bank uh, and you can always get your money back. Um, so that's, that's how it works. Uh, we were very excited about it. It's a new channel for deposit taking and, uh, you know, like all banks, uh, first and foremost, our, we're, we're looking to fund ourselves uh, with as economical deposits as we can uh, to enable us to, uh, to make loans in, uh, in markets uh, where we, we can earn a decent, a decent yield. But priority job one begins with deposit taking, and this, this is a brand new channel, and it it's, appears to be brand new for the world, uh, this type of, um, of uh, digital deposit note or um, or cryptocurrency or or uh, stablecoin type uh, type vehicle. Appreciate that. Um, is it possible to talk about what the potential demand uptake could be on stable corp side? I mean, are they? Is it going to be through three IQ? Are they talking to other institutional asset managers in the space, or is it too early to tell um, how big this could get? But if you could just kind of Walk us through, um, you know, where the um, like, how much or what the maybe just qualitatively what the demand level is um, for this stablecoin. Um, that would be great. Well, Stablecorp has linkages uh, throughout the uh, the cryptocurrency industry, uh, so I'd expect that uh, VCAT will flow through those those relationships that they've already established. Um, there's perhaps 10 billion in that market presently. And we think our, our product is superior, of course. Uh, so we'd expect that, uh, that a portion, a good portion of that 10 billion will start to uh, flow our way in that we're, we're presenting um, uh, a new type of cryptocurrency with all those added, uh, added features uh, that the others presently don't have. Appreciate that. And um, what's Opti's position on this? Uh, you're generally they're pretty slow to adopt kind of new um, innovations like this. How has the conversation gone on the regulatory side? Any potential um, impediments there um, in the future? Well, we have, of course, as usual, uh, uh, agreed and uh, and um, We'll be working with with OSFI as as we roll this this new product out and uh, and dealing with all the uh, the various questions and issues that uh, that likely will come up. Uh, but really, all we're doing is using uh, blockchain technology and uh, and the state-of-the-art encryption techniques for all the digital deposits that we already have. Our bank has never had a Brinks truck uh, roll up to the door with cash or or take cash away. We never in our history have we uh, have we had traditional uh, traditional cash. Uh, we've always had our, our deposits and loans uh, in digital format. Uh, so this is really just uh, adapting um, our already digital way of doing business uh, using blockchain technology to uh, uh, make it easier to deposit with our bank, uh, make it easier to uh, transfer ownership. Um, and, uh, and employing the, of course, strong encryption techniques, which which every bank should be employing. So, it's um, from a, a bank's point of view, it's a natural progression. It's a natural evolution, utilizing the technologies that uh, are now available. Um, I think it's good for the depositor. 
It's good for the regulator. The regulator will see a bank with uh, more diversity in its deposit base, maybe more economically priced deposits, and uh, stronger encryption techniques. And another features that come with uh, our VersaVault technology uh, that provide uh, uh, heightened degrees of security that aren't really available, certainly not available uh, in a branch uh, situation with, with traditional uh, deposits taking place uh, over the counter. Uh, so I, th I think, generally speaking, um, uh, the regulators, and I've spoken to, to OSFI and all the other regulators, uh, uh, will, uh, will be pleasantly surprised at, uh, at just what this will do for our industry. Um, I'd expect uh, other FIs will, will adopt similar technology. They may, may want to talk to us about uh, licensing uh, agreements. Um, I know central banks throughout the world are looking at this. Uh, but as usual, uh, our, our mission is to provide uh, uh, leading-edged uh, technology uh, to, to the banking industry, and this, this is sort of a no-brainer. Of course, this is what banks should be doing. They should be using the blockchain. Uh, they should be having their deposit uh, products available to, uh, to the masses uh, in a nice, convenient uh, fashion. Sorry, so just to be clear, it sounds like it's still kind of an ongoing um, discussion with OPSI. You haven't received the official rubber stamp yet, but um, the talks are, are progressing. Is that how we should look at that? Yeah, I'd look at it that way, although I, I don't see any official approvals required. Uh, we're well within our rights as a bank to issue deposits in digital format. We have been doing it since we began banking. I started out with telephone modems and digital uh, uh, digital data <laughs> representing deposits uh, back in 1993. Uh, so, uh, you know, from from my uh, uh, sort of humble perspective, uh, uh, Schedule One Canadian Bank is well within its rights to issue deposits, and uh, and everybody is is now uh, issuing their uh, representing their deposits in in digital format. We're just adding a whole lot of uh, of, of better security. Uh, than, than the present than the present situation, and we're we're making the deposit vehicles uh, uh, more readily available to uh, to people in the marketplace. So um, yeah, I, you know, I definitely will be working with the regulators to talk about all the details how it how it takes place. But uh, uh, you know, I don't see it as something uh, new that needs uh, particular approval. It's it's well. Uh, covered in, in, the, in our Bank Act and the OSFI guidelines. Good, good to hear, appreciate that. Um, maybe just um, before I hop back in the queue, but um, you know, with respect, and I, and I apologize if um, this was already brought up, I, I was cut out on the call earlier, but with respect to the NIM outlook, um, you know, your cash position continues to be a bit of a drag on, on your NIM uh, generation profile. As that gets cleaned up over the next, you know, do you think that gets cleaned up over the next quarter or two, and do you think that you can get back to that 3.0 um, NIM uh, profile um, going forward, possibly this year, or do you see that as a longer-term um, target to get to? I see it this year. Um, you know, we um, we took we think uh, the appropriate cautious approach and and uh, and let our cash balances build uh, mid last year to over 400 million. Um, there is uh, a cost to being that prudent, i.e., uh, the yield we're earning on our cash balances um, might have been slightly more than we were paying on our deposits, but 
Well, there is a drag uh, cost on uh, on them for being uh, safe uh, and cautious. And uh, now what you see is uh, they, uh, as now we have good visibility on how the economy is affecting our bank, uh, we're letting the the cash run down. Uh, and with the the loan growth I was talking about earlier, uh, it should enable us to bring the um, the cash balances back to sort of a normal level, six and a half, seven percent this year. Uh, so NIM should pop back up to uh, the three three percent, three point one or so. Um, that little arithmetic I did in the in the um, presentation showing if we had normal cash balances would be about three. Uh, so you know I. Throughout this year, you'll see it get back up, and um, with the with the with the uh, decline in cash balances and the increase uh, increased loan portfolio. Great, and then just the last question from me with respect to the efficiency ratio, you've got DBG Group in there um, now. What's the good run rate, um, you know, on that ratio going forward? Is it possible to get to 50% or lower, or do we think? Um, do you think the current levels are representative of where that stands um, over the balance of the year? Thanks. It should it should drop below 50% and keep right on going. Uh, as we build uh, assets, um, net interest income, um, of course that uh, that uh, helps with the dropping that ratio. We're st- we're still about suboptimal for a size. We're about half the size uh, uh, that, that we should be. Uh, so uh, faster we can grow up to say around the four billion level, the, the better uh, it will be for efficiency. Um, DBG and the other revenues that we expect will bring into DRTC. Um, probably on balance uh, helped out ratio also. Obviously, uh, uh, DBG in the first 60 days was quite a contributor, and um, you know that's what you'd expect going forward with the. Uh, Terrible things happen in the cybersecurity world with all the attacks. Uh, a company like uh, DBG and DRTC are uh, are uh, in a target-rich environment. <laughs> There's took a top gun, <laughs> a top gun analogy. Uh, so I, I, I'd see that efficiency ratio uh, dropping below 50 uh, this year. Thanks very much. Alrighty. Ladies and gentlemen, as a reminder, should you have a question, please press star followed by one. Uh, we have another question from Greg McDonald. Uh, Greg, please go ahead. Yeah, thanks. Just a clean up question, guys. On DBG, on the 1.7 million for the, I think it was 65 days, 62 days, I forget. Um, can you tell me what the growth rate on that was? And David, you made a mention when you were talking about DBG in your prepared comments. Um, of growth, for some reason, I, I, I got some interference there, so I didn't catch that. Something like 50% growth on something. Could you re, re, review that, please? Yeah, uh, looking at the DBG's past 12 months and comparing it to the run rate uh, using the 62 days uh, cash earnings um, prior to um, amortization, uh, those sort of non-cash items, it was about a 50% increase. Okay. So a, a really healthy increase uh, over their past 12 months, and uh, and that's uh, that's probably um, mostly attributable to the uh, marketplace demanding DBG type services with all these these attacks that are taking place. Okay, and and 
what the kind of run rate top line growth is at DBG right now. Has anything changed there? I think you commented on 12%. Well, yeah, past 12 uh, months were around about 8 million, and uh, and now it looks like about 10 and a half. Okay. Thanks very much. And then just the last, I, that, this is just a cleanup question as well. Anything unusual in um, uh, below the, the, the net interest line? Anything unusual in the expense items there? Well, we still have, are carrying um, some additional expenses with respect to uh, staff and such, and uh, there's some development costs that we expense. Uh, you, you probably see the expenses uh, reduce uh, quarter over quarter uh, going forward. Great. Thanks, guys. Your next question comes from Trevor Reynolds from Acumen Capital. Trevor, please go ahead. Hey guys, um, just, a, just a quick question here on uh, on the VCAD, and just curious as to you know where you see the primary demand or or who the primary customers will be for this uh, for this product. Well, it, these types of cryptocurrencies tend to be popular, uh, I guess, with uh, what they say the millennials and the Generation Z people. They seem to love these types of. Uh, of highly uh, liquid, tradable uh, digital currencies. Um, like I was saying the, the market might be in the 10 billion range presently for these types of currencies. Uh, so originally, uh, I, I think the demand is just gonna come from what's already out there. This is a superior uh, a digital currency to, to the others. Uh, and I think uh, once that's known, uh, it'll, be, it'll be very popular. Uh, as time progresses though, uh, and uh, this currency becomes more more uh, uh, prevalent. Um, I think you'll start seeing it be used a as a medium for um, for buying goods, and um, uh, that's our hope. Uh, we are our partners are, are deep into the applications in the payment industry, and um, I think you could see our VCAD, our VAUS, our VEURO, our VSterling uh, uh, used um, to purchase goods uh, as a medium. Um, so I, I, I see a huge growth for this. Um, uh, we're without competition in this particular type of cryptocurrency presently. Uh, so again, first mover, move, first mover advantage. And it is a fair amount of technology required to, to deliver something like this that, uh, that we, we've been working on for the past three years with our, our VersaVault. And StableCorp has... Uh, has done a lot of work in the um, blockchain area uh, to develop this too. So uh, partnering with StableCorp uh, uh, together with our DRTC with VersaVault, I think we're, we're quite a distance ahead of uh, the pack. And um, uh, you know, I expect it to be a, a very popular uh, cryptocurrency. And so the, the primary benefit then is, is the security obviously. The security and the stability. Uh, I, I think the stability will really be important. Uh, don't, don't, don't write this one down, but I think some of the uh, cryptocurrencies that have uh, risen so dramatically and so quickly uh, could just as easily come down that, that fast. And when that happens, uh, folks will probably uh, uh, look for, for currency that's backed up by, uh, by a fiat uh, currency like ours. ours is. So... Um, I, I think the, st the stability um, of having a, a fiat currency um, backing it 
and then I think um, the utility of, of being easily uh, tradable using blockchain technology are, are big features with, uh, with this VCAT. Great. And what would be the timing of getting into some of those, uh, the U.S. And, and Europe? Well, U.S. would be the next one after Canadian, uh, and that, of course, it's just south of the border, and we have fair presence in the States presently. So um, uh, I could see the VCAD rolling out in approximately around a two-month period of time, maybe a bit longer, maybe a bit less, uh, in that sort of ballpark. And then uh, it wouldn't take long to uh, to create a uh, the U.S. version of it. Uh, technologically, that's that's relatively simple for us to do. Great, thanks. All righty. Thank you, Trevor. Your next question comes from Brian Smith, a retail investor. Brian, please go ahead. Uh, just well, congratulations on another excellent quarter. Um, a question on the VCAD. Uh, two of the, the um, attractions of these cryptocurrencies are anonymity and uh, speed. So um, can you discuss those, uh, let's say, in comparison to trying to transfer money through check or, or money order, because um, I can really see an attraction in instead of having to wait for checks to clear um, and so forth, if you can just transfer from one business to another in this way. Is that something that you're you're seeing? Yeah, I, I think the advantage is speed is you know virtually almost instantaneous with uh, with the using blockchain. Uh, so our VCAD. Uh, uh, will be uh, almost instantaneously uh, uh, tradable. Uh, uh, so that is a, you know, a very important aspect of it. Um, anonymity, well, we, our, our depositor is StableCorp, so we know who our depositor is. Thereafter, through the blockchain, it is possible to know whose wallet is holding, is holding the, uh, the VCAD. Um, but uh, it'd be the various exchanges that uh, have the wallets that would know who who's, um, who their customers are. Uh, so it's it's like a cryptocurrency, like all the other cryptocurrencies. From that respect, um, it'll be super fast, and um, I think it'll give people comfort that um, uh, if they want, they want to burn it, burn it, they want to uh, get their money back, uh, redeem their deposit. Uh, they've got a bank uh, ready, ready to redeem the deposit like we do for all of our deposits. So uh, that should be a huge comfort as opposed to um, uh, the other cryptos that don't have anything behind them, uh, uh, sort of like catching a knife dropping um, if, it, if, if it goes down. And those that are tethered, uh, and uh, some, of course, are, are very strongly tethered and, and, and uh, issued by very reputable firms. Uh, but some in the past, the tethering has snapped, broken, or disappeared, and left uh, left people uh, uh, holders wondering what to do. So having a, this not be a tethered currency, but actually representing a deposit, I think is a huge difference. Agreed. Thank you. There are no further questions at this time. David, please proceed. Perfect. Well, thank you, everybody. It's been wonderful uh, catching up with you this morning. And uh, if you have any further questions, uh, you can drop me an email or, uh, or uh, put a, a call in. Uh, happy to discuss anything we've talked about today and uh, anything else you have in mind uh, about our bank and our, our new endeavors. 
Thanks again. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes your conference call for today. We thank you for participating and ask that you please disconnect your lines. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.